for Vita. He killed Blair? No, he had somebody do it. There's nothing that a small town sheriff can do that you can't. I want you to get inside the Petro Vita organization and tear it up. Who do you think I look like? Dirty Harry? Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Raw Deal. No one but me will know about you. Nobody. Now you do a good job. You pull us off. And you've got a great shot. Hosted by Brock. Him you watch close. Stuart. Turn up in the most damnedest places. And Arnie. It's going to take me a long time to figure out which of us is the biggest asshole. But be warned. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Smart, I like. Smart ass, I don't. We hope you enjoy the show. Wait a minute, where are you going? To do what an old friend asked me to do. Knock him dead. Today we're talking about Raw Deal. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Catherine Harold. Darren McGavin, Sam Wanamaker, Paul Shinar, Stephen Hill, Ed Lauder, directed by John Irvin. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is Arnie P. Carvalho. What does the P stand for? Pussy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a line in the, in the movie. I don't remember that line. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to this Arnold Schwarzenegger look back at some of his early career movies and eventually into the pinnacle of his power. Today is the 1986 movie Raw Deal. I have seen this movie once before because I like to do filmography projects. I know here at Now Playing, we kind of like doing the whole retrospective thing. And I've gone back and watched all of Denzel Washington, Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, even Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And so I got in my head that I'm going to do this for Arnold Schwarzenegger because there's a lot of movies that I've missed. I did miss Raw Deal. You and everyone, by the way. Raw Deal is the rare flop we're going to talk about in this retrospective. This was a setback for him. Have you guys seen Raw Deal before our viewing for this podcast? I had not, and yet I must have seen another film called Raw Deal. I'm watching this movie. I guarantee you I have never seen this film. And yet when I went to Letterboxd, it told me I rated it three stars back in 2020. A, I would never give this film three stars. B, <laughs> I've never seen this film. There's like four movies called Raw Deal, though. They could just have the wrong one connected to what you saw. Cable. I remember the sex scene, or the almost sex scene is what I remember. Them drunk with the champagne bottles and him pretending to pass out is my reference point for this movie. In Arnold Schwarzenegger film, you think of guns, you think of muscles, you think of throwing people. Your reference point is him passing out drunk. Yeah, I think it's probably the most embarrassing scene in the movie. I think it's the one you would remember. It's so bad. But you know who had a raw deal? Maria Shriver. This is the woman that Arnold married right before he made this movie and right before he got the maid. He was, at this point, trying to attach his name to the Kennedy family with some controversy. Not that JFK didn't have his flings. But it was a little strange. Everyone thought it was strange that Maria, good Catholic that she was, would associate herself and get married to Arnold. But indeed, that was going on for him at this time. Wait a minute. I thought 
he was a Republican. He is. Yeah, that's exactly part of the rub of it all. The rawness of this deal is that (laughs) she tarnished the family name with this Republican bodybuilder who would cheat on her and use her clout to have a political career all of his own. But I know he got a raw deal here, too, because he felt like he owed Dino De Laurentiis something for giving him Conan early in his career. He did this as a favor. This was Dino wanting to make a cheap hit that he could use to fund Total Recall, believe it or not. A movie he was not going to make with Arnold. It was going to be a David Cronenberg movie. I read a slightly different interpretation of events. Arnold got a raw deal in that he had signed for even more Conan sequels that Dino was about to call in on, now that Arnold had a bit of a name after Terminator. And the agreement was, if you cancel my contract for all these Conan films you're going to make me do, the way you made me come back for Red Sonja, if you stop doing this to me, I'll give you one movie, and that movie is Raw Deal. So he didn't want to make more Conan? Correct. He wanted to get away from the Barbarian as far as he could. Remember, he liked playing Commando because he got to wear clothes and be a regular person. This is the kind of movie star he wanted to branch into. He did not want to go back to Conan. He didn't want to do that again, and Dino had that contract lording over him. So this was the contractual obligation, get out of jail free card. But yes, Dino wanted to make Total Recall, which... I find very funny, yes, as you said, he didn't want Schwarzenegger. He wanted to make Total Recall with Patrick Swayze. They were looking at a lot of people. I mean, and again, it would be easy to understand why if you know the short story. It was David Cronenberg. I think William Hurt was considered. It would have been a very different movie. Let's just put it that way. The fact that it ended up being an Arnold movie is surprising. But yes, raw deal for him. Raw deal for John Irvin, who was an acclaimed British filmmaker who had brought Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy to the BBC and was known for quaint English dramas. I'm sure he didn't sign on for this, right? I think we can all agree the movie that he wanted to make is not with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This feels like a marriage in hell. If you're saying this director was acclaimed, that is news to me. Maybe acclaimed like Boot or Crisp or Lyft means something different in London than it does here in America, because I did not see an acclaimed director helming this movie at all. I find a lot of this movie difficult to swallow because of the shot setups, the lighting is horrible, the action sequences, and the fight choreography. There's a whole bunch of problems with this movie that I can squarely put on the director's shoulders if he is the one whose name is up there, and he's supposed to be acclaimed. This looks like a first-time director versus an acclaimed director. But I have to give the guy credit. John Irvin did direct the much-preferred Robin Hood from 1991, the miniseries with Patrick Bergen as the lead that my wife and her family adore that many people compared the Costner film that came out a year later negatively to because of that. So I will give Irvin the credit he deserves for that, but I didn't see his talents on display. Some of this could be put on Dino. Dino is second only to Roger Corman when it comes to cheap. And this is coming from Dino during a time where we've reviewed a lot of Dino productions, most of which were Stephen King films, where he cheaped out on those and got these really poorly shot, bad-looking films, even if the films sometimes themselves were passable, like 
Dead Zone or, in my mind, Firestarter. They still looked cheap and were filmed on the De Laurentiis backlot, which looked cheap. I mean, there's no getting around when you enter a devil's deal with this guy. I'm pretty sure this isn't John Irvin's best working experience. Yeah, and it was the end of Dino, really. It helped contribute to the fall of his entire studio, as did Masters of the Universe and a lot of other bombs. Stephen King, Maximum Overdrive, certainly didn't help. But yes, this was supposed to be a film that was going to flood Dino with cash based on Arnold's name. They thought that he was big enough, you put his face on the poster, and the commando audience would turn up and you'd have $50 million in the bank. And it did not end up being the case. This came out summer 1986, a summer we've revered and talked about many of the great films that came out of it. This one opened early, $8 million budget, $16 million haul, pretty much a wash. The only good news for Arnold is that Stallone did worse. Stallone had Cobra out a week or two later, and everyone laughed at that film more. Why don't we just give you a raw deal, Arnie? Give us this plot, and we'll see if the audience got the rawest of the deals. Oh, they did. <laughs> Although I didn't get a great deal in trying to make a plot summary out of this. Mark Kaminsky got a raw deal. The former FBI agent, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, killed a child rapist and murderer. And due to this brutality, Kaminsky was forced to leave the agency by his superior. Now as sheriff of a small town, Kaminsky lives an unhappy life in an unhappy marriage to an unhappy drunk wife. Remember, don't drink and bake. When Kaminsky's former boss, FBI agent Harry Shannon, shows up and gives Kaminsky a chance to rejoin the FBI, Kaminsky jumps at the opportunity. Shannon has a personal vendetta against Chicago mob boss Lou Patrovita, whose organization killed Shannon's son. There's a leak in the FBI who notifies Patrovita about any undercover operations or stings, so Shannon wants Kaminsky to infiltrate Patrovita's organization and bring it down. If Kaminsky is successful in this unsanctioned operation, then Shannon will try to get him reinstated. Kaminsky fakes his own death, then takes on the name of Joseph P. Brenner. He successfully integrates himself with Patrovita's crew, though hitman Max Keller, played by Robert Davi, never fully trusts the newcomer. Kaminsky also starts a relationship with Monique, one of Keller's minor operatives, played by Catherine Harold. Due to being married, though, Kaminsky never lets the relationship get physical. Kaminsky starts to enjoy his mob life a bit too much, and in a meeting with Shannon, he says maybe he'll just stay the successful Joseph Brenner. When Kaminsky is ordered to kill Shannon, though, he goes back to his law enforcer ways. He kills Keller, and then Kaminsky goes on a murder spree and kills every single one of Patrovita's employees. During this bloodbath, Patrovita turns to his FBI informant, who happens to be Baxter, the man who ran Kaminsky out of the FBI. Kaminsky storms Patrovita's penthouse and kills the mob boss and the crooked FBI agent. Kaminsky takes some of the mob money and sends Monique off to start a new life. Then Kaminsky gets to resume his old life with a job at the FBI and presumably a happy, sober wife as credits roll. I love in that plot summary, you did something the movie should have done, is you cut out an incomplete subplot <laughs> of Stephen Hill, who I know from Law & Order. We'll get to him later. You just cut him out completely as well you should. Bravo for you for doing something <laughs> the screenwriters somehow could not do. It's a plot summary. We're going to get into it all. Yeah, I think the intent must have been Yojimbo yet again. 
These are Italian screenwriters, ones that worked on A Fistful of Dollars, the spaghetti westerns that took the Japanese classic. Again, it's always fun. You have a tough guy that has two houses destroy each other. You got to be witty. You got to be smart. You got to bait one against the other. This is not an Arnold Schwarzenegger plot. And I do feel like even more than last time, we can all agree that Commando, good or bad, it was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. What we're here to talk about today should not be an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Should it be a movie at all? Sure. <laughs> Again, your jump is a fine film. If it were made properly with a compelling lead. Here's one thing I know. Right off the bat, you got to give us something that gets us mad. You got a vendetta. We've got to vindicate Blair? Blair, the yuppie FBI agent that gets gunned down in the beginning is the whole reason this whole movie happens. And I feel like you want something better than Blair. Why is his name Blair? <laughs> I couldn't get past that. I know it's a androgynous name, usually for a female more than a male, but it can work both ways. But I couldn't get past that. Yuppie. I mean, again, this kid is an FBI agent working in a safe house when a bunch of mobsters come in and blow them all away because they're hiding an informant. And who this informant was what he was going to tell none of that matters the point is blair is dead and god damn it they must pay <laughs> what really cracked me up about this first scene is that we saw a car a helicopter an airplane there's a station wagon then they see a boat every mode of transportation possible inside of five minutes i was laughing my head off about that and also they had a conversation in the house see this is what happened with me Stuart. i was so not into the plot there was a trivia question in there about, like, how many Oscar nominations John Wayne had. It was three. Oh, three. And he won one. It was True Grit, obviously, mm -hmm. but he was nominated two other times. I knew the answer to that, and I was more happy about that than watching <laughs> what was on the screen. I was obsessed with the trivia question. And by dropping John Wayne, they're speaking to the audience. Where are the John Wayne fans now? This is what Arnold is supposed to represent. But it's not Arnold's beef. The beef is with Darren McGavin star of A Christmas Story and Kolchak the Night Stalker. He's mad that his son Blair is dead, and he just happens to know Arnold was a great FBI agent who had to walk away from the force. But right away, too, you can tell this is not even on the commando level. They have a couple of one-liners that don't work. The squibs look like squibs. The way they cut from someone shooting to the people being blown up with the blood on their shirts, it was such an obvious cut and... The knife or something, too, was completely obvious that they didn't throw anything. It just didn't seem to me that the production values were here in this first opening scene, which should have been a gangbuster way to open a movie, and it just doesn't work. It feels so lame and poorly done that right away I get a bad taste in my mouth. Here's the thing. The opening of this movie should be Arnold Schwarzenegger beating up a child murderer, because this movie's called Raw Deal, and the raw deal he gets happens before this movie ever starts. We're supposed to understand his redemption from something we're never going to see. And that's going to be said in passing that he got a you have to quit or be fired from the FBI. Instead of giving us something with our main character, we're getting this mob informant being killed as the big entrance into this movie, as our big motivator. I'm sorry, but I think we needed to start this movie with Schwarzenegger and getting his raw deal and then get into this Patravita stuff and see him claw his way back to respectability. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is about Darren McGavin crying about Blair. 
And that's really bizarre. And then when we do get Arnold, it ain't no tree over the shoulder. It's honky-tonk and Dukes of Hazard kind of jumps as a fake cop on a bike gets tricked into driving on a road that he's coated with gasoline and then throws down the cigar. A waste of a cigar, by the way. I don't think the real Arnold Schwarzenegger would ever do that. I was getting Smokey and the Bandit off of this more than Dukes of Hazard. No question about it. The honky-tonk music was really strange. And if we had the opening Arnie was talking about, we would then cut to this chase scene right afterwards and then do the Darren McGavin scene. That's how you would probably structure the whole thing. Stuart made the same kind of comment last time we talked about Commando, about how the opening of the movie should have been something else. That's two in a row now, guys, that we're rewriting the movie and how it should open. Here's what I'd know. You don't put Arnold in lumberjack flannel and then have him have divorce problems. What (laughs) genius says he comes home to an alcoholic wife who's writing shit on a cake and throwing it at him? Literal S-H-I-T, not just, like, writing shit. (laughs) Yeah. She's celebrating their anniversary of five years since he's been kicked out of the FBI and had to live this small-town life. And his response is, I've got to get back to the FBI to please her? Yeah, bizarre. But again, I would argue, they do not know how to write Arnold as a romantic lead. And this is another example. Well, this is a great example, because these scenes with his wife don't work at all. He has a lot of dialogue. This clearly was not written for him. This was clearly written for somebody else. Right. And we were talking in the Commando show how every time he has put more than one sentence together, you can really hear he can't handle it. This whole movie is full of when he has dialogue, he has a lot of trouble wrapping himself around it because he's asked to do a character. He's asked to pretend to be somebody else in character as somebody else. And he's asked to be a romantic lead, not once, but twice with this scene and then later on in the movie. It doesn't work at all. He has a lot of problems with the dialogue and with the characterization. I had a problem with this scene because before they throw the cake and show us it says shit on it, she was frosting the cake, but she didn't decorate it. But when she threw the cake, it was decorated. When did she do that? Doesn't make any sense. But that's the least of the movie's problems at this point because you have this whole domestic squabble that didn't play. And doesn't pay off. We never see this wife again. Well, but we'll hear that he gets back with her and gets her pregnant, and it's all because he'll reclaim his FBI job he should have never had to leave behind. So, Darren McGavin eventually pulls him in. The Sting House is like a marriage counselor's office. That's kind of funny, because he is trying to save his (laughs) marriage. And what does Arnold say? Do I look like Dirty Harry? Instantly, you're telling us, yes, this is a role for Eastwood. Mm -hmm. This is a role for Bronson. This is a role for just about anyone Other than Arnold. Arnold is like this. It is almost like they got the tree (laughs) from the last movie that he cut down. And they're just dressed (laughs) it up in a suit. And are pushing this tree stump around and pretending like it's an actor. (laughs) He's so bad in this film. And he's so necessary to be an actor in this film for it to begin to work. That you just... My heart bleeds for him, honestly. Dino, this was a raw-ass deal you gave him. Why this movie? I get that you wanted him to make a movie for you, but this wasn't it. I think this was the script he had in the movie that he was making. Arnold stepped in, but I agree with you. I think you have to look at the director to some degree because Arnold was better in Commando than he is here. I don't know why you would say that. He is as bad, but he had better lines. One thing i just point out, there are no one-liners for him here. This is not the role where he's going to say something funny and then blow something up. This is a pretty, like I said, like an Eastwood, kind of gritty 70s movie. 
Yeah, but Stuart, in this same scene, we have plot exposition on a videotape. So we're watching a movie of people watching a videotape. And then they sit down to chat over coffee in a little, like, corner of an office that stays stationary for I don't know how long. And clearly, it doesn't work at all. The director is to blame here for not making it interesting, dynamic, and using what he has to the best of his ability. It kind of feels like the director threw his hands up just to get through the whole thing. And these are the first scenes of the movie that are supposed to draw us into a plot, even with a bad actor, even with a bad situation. The director is supposed to make the best he can out of it, and it seems like he gave up at the start. Let me throw the cinematographer under the truck, too, because, Brock, you brought up that coffee they're having. For some reason, when they're having that conversation, this white thermos of coffee is right (laughs) there in center of frame. And I cannot look at these actors. I am fixated on this damn coffee pot during this scene. Completely agree. I mean, the DP is very good. He shot Legend and the Mel Gibson Hamlet and Cliffhanger and lots of good movies to his resume. I think what the holdup is, is you're saying this doesn't look like an action spectacular. And because Arnold is in it, we're having this hiccup of saying, well, this feels like Again, a different era. This feels like a movie that would have come out 10 years before. It doesn't feel like 1986. It feels like 1976. Not even a thriller. Stuart, they could have filmed it like a thriller. It feels like it. It feels like Three Days of a Condor. Yeah, Three Days of a Condor, though, has Faye Dunaway and Robert Redford and a crackling plot. This has none of that. But it might have. Let's not discount the idea that this does come from... Oscar-nominated writers, the guy that did Serpico. There are talented people here. You're saying that they let Arnold down. And I'm here to tell you, maybe they were Arnold. Maybe they had something worthwhile. And then Dino said, no, you must use this block of wood. Okay, that is a great premise. And everything you're saying does make sense that all of them got stuck with Arnold. But then it's on the backs of the much more talented and experienced people to not make this look like a student film. Am I wrong about that? I don't think it looks that bad. I just don't think it looks shiny and flashy in the way that action movies did in the 80s. It was going for something else. It's not an action movie. When we get action scenes, they feel like they come out of nowhere. They're just, again, gratuitous because we have Arnold here. Suddenly he just has to shoot everything on screen. But I don't think it was that kind of movie. I understand your point, and you might be right. And given the plot with a different actor, this could actually be a very taut drama slash thriller kind of movie. Mm -hmm. If you have Tom Berenger in this role, for example, this thing could really play. Yeah. Especially in 1986. I'm not disagreeing with you, but what I'm saying to you is, if all of these people behind the scenes got a raw deal because they got the wrong actor in the lead, it's up to them to do something with the lighting to make the shots more exciting, to make the cinematography better, make the edits better, to make the squibs and the fight choreography crack. None of that is good here, Stuart. None of it. It all looks pedestrian and bad. It's as if they're like, I'm not going down for this. I don't want to be the one to blame. Then they should step up and perhaps make it look better and feel better and put all the blame squarely on the shoulders they belong on. The very, very broad shoulders of Schwarzenegger. Exactly. I'm not saying he comes out smelling like roses. I'm saying they're coming out looking like shit. Yeah, I mean, maybe or maybe you just don't give a shit and put Alan Smithy's name on it. Maybe you rise to the occasion, maybe you modify to try and make it work with what you've been given. I can't blame them if they threw up their hands and said, call my lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, it is a raw deal that this is the lead. And stupid upon stupid, 
All right. So Darren McGavin wants him to go and investigate the mob. He's like, I'm going to fake my own death without a body. He's just going to like drive into an oil refinery and blow up his patrol car. And that's supposed to mean he's dead. Yeah. And he also broke into there with the bolt cutters, but left the bolt cutters in the police car. Come on. I mean, embarrassing. This whole thing is a stupid setup. And I'm like, wait, your wife now thinks you're dead. I know you don't have that happy a marriage, but, I mean, there's so much. And, okay, let's understand what he's being asked to do here. He's being asked to, as a civilian, not as a sheriff, not as an agent, as a civilian, go on an unauthorized undercover operation, and the carrot dangled is we're going to get you a job back at the FBI? If this guy had the juice to get Kaminsky his job back at the FBI... Why didn't he already do that? I don't think doing an illegal thing is going to exactly engender gratitude from the FBI. Yeah, it's a thin, bad premise. Blame can be distributed to everyone. I'm not here to exonerate anyone. I just have more pity for the people trying to make this work. Because clearly, this concept usually is fun. It's usually fun. What we're told is that there's two different mafias. Chicago Mafia. We got the people that Darren McGavin wants to kill, Luigi Patravita, and then Arnold gets on the idea, well, the way to get to him is by attacking his enemy, which, again, you'd want to pit them against each other, but for him, it just means going into a gambling establishment and turning over some tables and robbing his girl of Neiman Marcus stuff. And driving a truck through that gambling den. I mean, it's Arnold being Arnold being tank he's just going to destroy and how he's able to get away with it is only i guess because he's arnold because anybody else who tried to do this stuff to lemansky would clearly be killed and yet we're supposed to think arnold is just magical in this way eastwood could do it too though i think eastwood could pull all of this off well eastwood's more human being Because Arnold is so big, because he looks like he works out all the time, you just don't buy... When he's wearing these suits and all that, it's just not a flattering look for him. The slick back hair, him trying to go yuppie here, or mobster, or whatever it is, it ain't working. Stuart, you made a point of saying that how smart Arnold Schwarzenegger is in real life. Right. But here he does not come across that smart, even though the character is supposed to. Right. It's really remarkable how that works. That whole back room casino fight, the table's practically broke away before the person landed on them. The fight choreography I mentioned a thousand times right now, and I keep mentioning it, it's really bad when they do have these scenes. They have a guy like over a post or something like that, and it's almost like he put himself up there before Arnold threw him there. These scenes are hard to watch because they don't seem to be done with a sense of fun or cleverness or even a technical ability. And if this guy can handle it, again, what they're showing us is they don't want to, if you're saying he can. If there is an editor or the DP or the director, if they have competency in these kind of scenes, they're not doing anybody any favors. The scenes without Arnold aren't good. I just want to put that out there. There are scenes that don't have Arnold in them where we're seeing these mob bosses talk about each other, seeing the Petrovita people and the Lemansky people talking about their beef with each other. And while these scenes are in general, slightly better acted just because Arnold isn't in them. They're not good scenes and they're not well acted. This thing, honestly, I'm trying to decide what it is more, a bore or a failure? A bore. 
I think it's both. I think it's a bore because you're right. Those scenes, I love what Stephen Hill is doing here. I've never seen him perform that way. Again, I'm used to him being on Law and Order. So to see him doing this kind of a menschy kind of guy, it's a lot of fun for me to see him do something different. But Sam Wanamaker and even Robert Davi, I'm not saying Robert Davi is an Oscar-winning actor, but we have seen him be very effective in comedy like The Goonies or as Sanchez in James Bond. He can be very effective. He can be very good in the right role with the right people, with the right director. But here it looks like the director is not an actor's director. I would also say it's, I can't follow what's going on. In the basics, I follow what's going on. Two Bob families don't like each other and they keep driving school buses by and shooting at each other. But like in a stereotypical mob movie, we get it. They're out for blood. But the actual relationships, why it isn't working, the godfather of this ain't. We can all just agree. (laughs) We know what a good mob movie is. And this doesn't become close to touching that. And that's too bad because I do feel like the supporting cast is fairly decent. But yeah, if you took Arnold out of it, you'd be completely bored. You put Arnold in it and it's bad. I don't think Dobby's that bad, actually. I think he does the most of what he's given with, especially when he's like doesn't believe anything Arnold says. He's suspect of Arnie and what he's doing. I think he plays pretty well here. I think of all the supporting people, Stephen Hill and Robert Dobby come across as best as they can, given the circumstances. Robert Dobby's playing Max, and Max is third in the chain. There is Patravita at the top, and then there's this other guy named Roca, who doesn't really seem to matter. And then we like Max because Max is the one that's on to Arnold. Arnold comes in presenting that he is Joey from Florida and has done all of this mob work. He's going to be the one, well, he feels threatened about it. Arnold's going for his job, but he's going to be the one to expose this guy as a fraud. Because right around here also we get to meet Monique, the female lead of the movie. I don't really exactly understand if she's working for them or is she just in debt to them and what her purpose is. Who does Monique work for? She's somewhat ingratiated with this mob, but I'm not quite sure how. She just seems to hang out and gamble and lose a lot, and Max keeps hitting on her to no effect, but I don't understand her role in anything beyond just being this kind of lost soul who Schwarzenegger can cozy up to. Yeah, my guess is if we were making like the good version of this, she would be a complicated character because she's been ruined she used to be in with the group and now because she's a gambling addict and maybe a drinker it's hard to say but yes she's sort of fallen on hard times and she's not so desperate that she'll date davi but she is kind of a tragic figure is the way it looks like to me but yeah as far as a relationship for arnold where this all goes The fact that he's going to take her out to buy dresses, but in the end being like, I'm a married man and you're just a friend. Yeah, this is terrible for his image. I think if Eastwood did star in this, Monique would be Sandra Locke, right? That kind of actress. Sure. I don't know who this person is. Catherine Harrell, I don't think I've seen her in anything since or before. Are you guys familiar with her? Is she um, an up-and-comer? Was she big at the time? And if none of that is true, then what is she doing here? Why isn't there like a Sandra Locke here in this role? Because, again, I'm not saying she's terrible. She actually is fine. She's doing the best she can with what she has. I just didn't understand the character or why she is the one who got the role. I think her claim to fame around this point was she had made an Albert Brooks comedy called Modern Romance. And I saw her in a horror movie about bats called Nightwing. 
these are not reasons why you cast her in anything. <laughs> and again, I don't know who does have chemistry with Arnold. Who would be someone... They all feel weird. All the women that he gets put against don't feel like he has chemistry with. I don't know the solution here, but I know that she feels like she comes in in a much different movie than the movie that Arnold is in. And their relationship, the way that she's trying to manipulate him. This embarrassing scene where she takes him home and feeds him champagne and his fake acting of being drunk is no better than his real acting. (laughs) I don't know what you get here. It's just... Yes, you just pretend you fell asleep and fall back and hit your head on the bed. I agree with you in that his fake acting isn't better than his real acting, because I'm like, is he really trying to act drunk in this scene? Is this really (laughs) how he thinks acting drunk is? And then it's like, okay, he's acting poorly, but can he act well? (laughs) I mean, it's just so weird. I thought she played drunk fine. The key to playing drunk is to not think you're drunk. He was playing drunk amateurishly. I thought she did an okay job. I don't dislike what she's doing in this scene. The scene is horrible. Horrible. The scene is terrible for a thousand reasons. The only thing I could say nice about it was I liked what Miss Harold was doing in it because she did everything she possibly could to make it work. Why don't they sleep together? Why do they have this whole chaste thing where he has a wife back home and eventually gets Amy pregnant off screen, and there's no chemistry here, and they'll even try to, like, recreate Casablanca at the fucking end. And, like, (laughs) sweetheart, let me put you on the plane I'm not getting on. Like, this is bizarre. It, again, lets me know that they had ambitions for this movie that had nothing to do with a shoot-em-up starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think the reason why they don't sleep together is because we're trying to keep Arnold as our hero, and it would be too much if he cheated on his wife with this woman. Now, that would work in a 70s film. I mean, that would work in Serpico, but that's not going to work here. The idea that he's this chaste, I've got to that bitch that's throwing shit cakes at him. Why wouldn't we want him to dump her? The miscalculations here are numerous. But worst of all, probably for the fans, is that Arnold is not funny. When Arnold is doing these tough guy scenes, when Arnold is going around and kicking the ass of nameless goons and alleys, there aren't jokes. There aren't fun. There isn't even gratuitous violence. It's a very dull movie. This movie is only an hour 45. It needs to be 80 minutes, and it is feeling every minute of its length. Yeah, the pacing and the editing here, which we complimented when we talked about Commando is not here at all. They really needed to make this a much faster, flighter, get-to-the-point kind of thing. This movie, I think it's more accurate to call this a drama with some action beats in it instead of an Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot 'em up But the poster leads you to believe it's a shoot 'em up and when people want to see Arnold, they want to see him in a shoot 'em up kind of big, grotesque, violent kind of thing. Do they want to see him at Kinks, the female impersonator strip bar where he's going to take what looks like a gallon of nail polish and throw it on the owner and be like, This is what you're going to look like dead? Well, he was saving that guy's life by doing that. Max was going to kill the guy, and so Kaminsky had to step in and save that guy's life. Again, they're trying to keep him on the side of being a hero, and it's not really working. But this whole trip to Kinks was so weird. It came out of complete left field that we're at a female impersonator 
strip bar. How long is that going to last? And then is that Louis Anderson tending the bar? Like all of this is just bizarre. And why does it look like they're in Times Square when they're in Chicago? And the clientele is actual cisgender females. It's a very, very bizarre scene. I think it's meant to capture that grittiness. If you think about it, it wasn't so long ago they were making movies like Cruising or Stallone had one called Nighthawks. They wanted to show a gritty Chicago mob movie here, but both the times had changed and Arnold was never that kind of star. He's never been in a movie like that. So grit is not what you get when you get that guy. But he's working now with Robert Davi and he's going to really help the mob boss out. There's this subplot where Patrovita had a lot of cash and I guess it's heroin seized. And it's only Kaminsky who can come up with a plot on how to steal it out of an evidence room and a police station. Every time Sam Wanamaker says the word smack instead of saying heroin or dope or whatever, it's like a dad trying to sound cool in front of his kids. I don't believe him for a second that he calls it smack, but that's the code word they were using for it. The bomb threat idea was a good idea, plot-wise. Uh, <laughs> I'm just surprised of where it came from. Yeah, okay, so the idea I just want to point out there is you put a bomb on a grapefruit can and then stick it in a vending machine and blow out the windows of a police precinct, and now every time you call a bomb threat, the cops are going to run out of their building that allows them to break into the evidence room and reclaim the stolen smack and money. Yes, if you do it that way, and by the way, I'm not condoning this or giving people ideas. I'm just saying, plot-wise, it makes complete sense to me that if they have a bomb go off in one place, then they're going to take every threat as seriously as they should the next time because they've proven that this could be a repetitive thing. That made total sense to me. That is one of the plot points that was easier to follow in a movie here that has a lot of things going on that I didn't understand. It still doesn't really feel integrated with what's going on. The frustration for Patravita is that he's bought off the cops, and I think it's supposed to be a mystery that we don't know who his inside man is. He keeps calling and being like, they're not letting me, I thought I bought them and all of that. It is, I think, supposed to be a real surprise when we see him eventually hanging out with the DA that took away Schwarzenegger's FBI badge. What's funny is that DA shows up and I'm like, hey, it's Frank from Murphy Brown in a very early role where he just has this little bit part interviewing the mob bosses and ask how you have that lifestyle. The moment he shows up at the bomb site, though, I'm like, okay, this guy's the informant because obviously it's not going to be Shannon who's the informant. And so who else would it be when this guy shows up a second time it's just screenwriting 101. It is him. I don't know. There's so many people and they all look alike. I just get lost. I get lost in what family is what. If it wasn't for Murphy Brown, this guy wouldn't have stood out. I'll be honest. Agreed. We know we know him from something else. And honestly, the whole informant mole thing, it didn't really seem like the mystery of the movie to me. Obviously, they tried to set it up that way, but I didn't care about that plot at all. And when he finally dies... It doesn't matter to me. I didn't get why you even had to have that aspect of it in the movie. Because it's the only thing that links to something a personal grudge that Schwarzenegger would have. Everything else is about Blair. I just want to point out, everything else is about pleasing Harry, who wants to get them all for killing Blair. 
And the only reason why we want that lawyer to die is we were told, but not shown, that he took away Arnold's badge and made his wife hate him. Speaking of seeing things coming from a while away, when they go to the cemetery and it's the big reveal that they're going to kill Shannon, Darren McGavin, I mean, I clearly knew it was Shannon the first time they showed a shot of him. And then they keep showing another shot as they get closer and closer and closer. It's clearly him. Well, here's the thing. I knew it was Harry, but I thought, like, is he taking a leak on the tombstone? <laughs> he looked like he was unzipping. It was a weird shot. I'll give you that. No, it was his son's gravestone. I thought he was kneeling in front of it. Yeah. Eventually. But yeah, you go back to that first shot and he's trench coating it. I'm like, mm, something's wrong. <laughs> a funny thought just happened to me. If his wife put shit on the cake, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, when he faked his death on his tombstone, so she put shit on his tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny if he were at Arnold's, yeah, or Kaminsky's, since he's supposedly dead. That would be kind of fun. But of course, he's at Blair's gravesite. And yes, it's supposed to be the moment that Arnold has to choose. Well, there's no choice here. You kill Robert Davi, and he does. But his good friend Harry also takes a bullet, and we're led to believe that he's dead, that he has to leave him there because this was, keep in mind, an unauthorized mission. No one is to know what they've been doing. So Arnold just has to run away, and who's there for him but Monique? Which, again, you're right, this relationship. Last time we saw Monique, they were going dress shopping, and goons were trying to kill them. And then she was tearing her dress off at a restaurant because she was called a friend. Really don't understand Monique here. It feels like they've really not found the foil for Kaminsky. They might as well have had the wife here, right? Bring in Amy if she's so important. Make her a part of the mission. The thing about the dress that she took off is, I don't think they actually pay for those dresses. Because they had the fight scene <laughs> in the dress shop. Right. It's a shoplifted dress. So he was going to buy it for her. They just haven't got around to it. So what's the big deal? I did like the fight in the dress shop. I thought that was rather amusing where the lady's trying to call for mall security and they just leave with stealing the dresses. But it's a rare moment where I'm perking up in just this film that I'm like, get on with it. But finally, yes, after the attack on Shannon, this movie is going to take a hard left turn where what exactly was Kaminsky's goal originally? Was he gathering evidence? Was he just to find the FBI leak? What was his job? What would be success? I thought it was the Yojimbo plot. If he had Lemansky kill Petra Vita, that would be what he wanted. But Lemansky ends up dying in this chase scene around Navy Pier. Back before it was a tourist trap. That chase scene, by the way, is how I think everybody who's not been to Chicago views Chicago. I remember when Star Wars Celebration was announced in Chicago, you might as well have said it was going to happen in Nicaragua. People were like, oh my god, we're all going to get shot and die in Chicago. I think this is literally what people think Chicago is, is cars just driving around <laughs> shooting wildly at each other with machine guns. Let me tell you something about this car chase scene. He goes underneath a truck or something, and the top of his big sedan gets chopped off, and then inexplicably it goes off a pier or something and crashes into something and blows up. But when the car goes off that little ramp, there's nobody in there, so I didn't know that Lemansky died. Why is that important? Because at the end of the movie, when there's a happy ending and all that kind of stuff and the movie ends, I'm like, wait, why did Lemansky get to live? 
and I had to rewind to that scene and realize, oh, he's supposed to have died in that crash. I didn't even get that because you couldn't even tell there's somebody in the car. And the whole movie is kind of like Dullsville and boring at this point. Who cares? If you can even keep track of Lebansky and again, it's not well demonstrated. You really need to have clear cut ideas about the two different mafias and yeah, go watch A Fistful of Dollars. Go watch Yojimbo. There are ways of doing this. This movie is doing it very poorly and with an insufficient lead, not engineering it. But his plan was, let's have that go off. And when that guy's no longer in the picture to take out Petrovita, and keep in mind, Harry, his dying wish was, if your cover is blown, promise me you'll just get the guy at the top. Don't worry about all the corrupt cops and everything else. Just kill Petrovita. Okay, so there was that promise. That is why Arnold goes on a murder spree, because I'm like, he could have done this at the very beginning. Instead of bothering to go after Lemansky, Kaminsky could have just gone and roughed up Petrovita's people and killed them, which is what he's going to do now. He's just going to go to place to place and indiscriminately murder these people. I mean, it becomes an Arnold movie, or a Rambo movie. I mean, all of a sudden you have him doing an arsenal montage where he's pulling guns out of suit bags, and this isn't the movie we were watching. This is a hijacking at this point. We're just going to go do the movie that we had hoped this director was going to make here in the final 20 minutes. And we get some voiceover of Shannon saying, at the rock quarry, a lot more goes on. If you get invited to the rock quarry, don't go. And so where's he going to go first? The rock quarry and just shoot people. To the stone's satisfaction, no less. Really the stones? I had to see. Would Dino pay for Mick Jagger? Dino did pay for the Mick Jagger version of the song. I found this whole gunfight so dull, though. I wasn't satisfied at all. This was not a good scene. <laughs> no. And it is a song 20 years old. I mean, this is the 80s. It's a 1960s song. Yeah, you can get the rights to this because it's not hip. And I thought that's what they were going for, but it is a badly utilized scene. And it feels like the whole movie was like we had the scene of the plow going through the restaurant earlier. It feels like Dino just had access to construction equipment. And like that suddenly just becomes the vehicles. I mean, these are mobsters that don't have nice cars. They just have plows. Yeah, the car that gets trapped between the two pieces of construction equipment is not as suspenseful as the filmmakers think it is. It's a dump truck and a bulldozer, guys. I mean, these are not really complicated vehicles. <laughs> these are all Constructicons. <laughs> these are not, like, obscure ones. These are a bulldozer and a dump truck. Uh, you guys are killing me. I did like him running under the dump truck. I thought that was kind of cool and dangerous. You know, if that thing accelerates, you're going to be pretty fucked. But he does hop out into a little trailer and start shooting people. And then he's going to go to Patrovita's penthouse, where fortunately the DA is hanging out, who is giving the information. So we can close up this entire movie in 10 more minutes of shooting. Yeah, Dick Rock is here as well. Swamp Thing, I guess. Yes. I didn't recognize him <laughs> outside of the green foliage he would normally have on screen there's a bunch of goons again i mentioned a guy named Raka. he's second in command you might notice him getting gunned down here you might notice some of the other people that have been around getting gunned down here petrovina's death even if he didn't get a bowl of hard candy dumped on him i don't think he would notice it's just a bizarre anti-climax 
Yeah, in a dull action scene, on top of it. Petrovita isn't even the final kill. You always end by killing the big person, but the last person to die is going to be the DA. And here Arnold is going to try to get an Arnold line. I guess this is what they call poetic justice. Yeah, he gets to make the offer that was made to him. Resign or be prosecuted. Although, obviously, he's not going to just let him resign. (laughs) You're going to die. This feels like the ending of Commando. I mean, keep in mind, they killed the president before they killed the betrayed friend on the unit. This is a personal thing. You got to make the stakes that Arnold has a dog in the fight. He had a reason to kill this guy. And here he gets revenge for... For Blair. No, no, for being thrown off the FBI. No one gave a shit about Blair. (laughs) If we weren't reviewing this for now playing and taking notes and paying attention to names... Do you think anybody really caught, I mean, would you even know he's named Kaminsky? But would you really know this is the guy who got Arnold thrown off the FBI? No. Yeah, such a bizarre toss-off line early in a movie full of characters that all look alike. I really think it's very confusing for audiences, particularly now when you may not even know these. We're saying, oh, the guy from Murphy Brown. I'm guessing half our audience goes, what's Murphy Brown? (laughs) These are character (laughs) actors that have not stood the test of time. That's very true, and a lot of these names do sound alike because the movie's not making it a point for me to learn them, care about them, any sort of invested on anything that's going on, and it can't all be Arnold's fault. And so that is my thesis on this movie, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I was really not expecting this left turn at the tearjerker ending at the airport. Who came up with this? (laughs) He's looking at you, kid. I mean, oh my god. I like that someone gets a happy ending at this ending. Like, she gets a happy ending, and Arnold gets a happy ending, and Darren McGavin gets a happy ending. Oh my god, that, you must walk to be the godfather? There is no godfather in this mafia movie. (laughs) Give it up. It feels like they added this at the last minute. Like, they did probably kill off Darren McGavin, and then people were like, oh, we liked him, kind of. And so they give him this cheesy moment of, like, having him walk again and give Arnold a hug, and nothing that they were doing feels like what the 20 minutes that conclude this movie gives us. No, and still I'm shocked we never see that wife again, that drunk wife. We never get to see Arnold's happy life. We never get to see Arnold at the agency. What that final scene should be is a replay of the beginning. When we first were introduced to Arnold, he's arresting somebody as the sheriff and then going home to a very unhappy wife. The end should be, He's doing some bust as an FBI agent, goes back and sees Shannon at the office, and then goes home to his wife, who's now happy, and we see that she's pregnant. We see it, we don't just hear it, we see the baby bump, and we get to know that everything worked out, and you're actually paying off these scenes you showed us in the beginning. Instead, honestly, it's like they just pulled the plug, and at this point, I don't care that they did. I'm kind of glad that they didn't elongate anything. Well, then let's get through it. Yeah. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Raw Deal? Stuart. You know, Arnold's pretty jacked in this movie, but this is a weight he cannot lift. There is no way he can pull off this look, and I'm not sure it would have been a great movie with someone else in it, but I know it would have been better. That's the one thing I can say. What's strange about this movie Commando, I think by comparison, we can recognize all the entertainment that was there, good or bad. It was fun to watch. No one is going to have a good time watching this movie. More than bad, Arnold is miscast. This is not an Arnold movie. 
more than anything we might watch. Actually, I can think of maybe one that we're going to get to in this retrospective. It's just not something that he should have ever accepted. He should have told his agent, no deal. But I guess he had to pay off something with Dino, and I hope it was worth it. I'd rather have watched Conan 3 than this piece of trash. It will rub you raw. Might be the worst one of this retrospective we're doing. I'm guessing it could be the rawest of deals. Arnie, the biggest compliment I can give it is, it's not an utter piece of shit. I mean, it's dull and it's poorly acted, but it's certainly not one of the worst things we've ever reviewed. It's not like this is an Uva Bowl film. I've been through the fires of hell, and this movie's just bad. You know, I mean, I can't hate this movie. That's what I was thinking when I'm watching this, is I remember the old Netflix star system, where early on when Netflix used to mail us DVDs, and there was a star system, and in case you didn't know how stars worked, if you hovered, one star was hated it, and two stars was didn't like it. I don't hate this movie, but I don't like this movie. (laughs) You know, at one point, Arnold and... Monique are talking, and one says, losing improves your character, winning improves your wardrobe. I hope Arnie got some character building out of this. It's a not recommend. It's funny you should mention the stars, Arnie, because Letterboxd does have a five-star system, and I rarely, if ever, put things at half or one star. Movies like this typically get two stars because I don't hate this movie. I think it's full of missed opportunities. It's not unwatchable, but it's close to it. This movie doesn't anger me, so things that I have given one star to do one or all of those things I just mentioned. This is definitely a two star, didn't like it, not recommend, for all the reasons I've already talked about. We know Arnold is miscast in this movie. There is no question about it, but if everyone else around him realizes that same thing while they're on the set... It's up to them, if they're professionals, to spin this straw into, if they can't make it gold, then maybe pyrite. They really miss doing that as well. Everyone comes across badly here. Yes, Arnold is miscast, but all the people behind the scenes could have helped move this along to make it a little more something. And some of the actors did the best they could, but clearly I thought they were mishandled as well, and it just feels like compromise after compromise after compromise after people not caring and collecting a paycheck. It feels lazy. But yeah, for an Arnold movie, this is a disappointment, but I can't blame him. I'm blaming everybody else because we all know he should not have been cast in this lead. So yeah, this is um, a disappointing movie to review right after Commando, but I'm kind of hoping that the next few Arnold movies we talk about aren't at this level in that I know he has some stinkers coming up, but I don't think it's going to be because of the laziness or ineptitude or the throwing hands up of people who clearly know better or should know better and have done work that keeps them working. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are people here that just drop the ball. Yeah, we've got James Belushi. I'm excited for Red Heat. I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but I remember loving this damn movie. I don't remember liking this one that much. I remember it feeling like a lot of movies from the 80s. Buddy Cop, right? It's Lethal Weapon. It's 48 Hours. Movies I like. Running Scared. I like Buddy Cop movies. And I remember Belushi really being funny in this one. Belushi was great in About Last Night. I really became a Belushi fan around that time. 
and that's why I saw Red Heat back in the day, and I can't wait to feel the heat again. Yeah, and we'll talk about it next time we're here. Red Heat is certainly what we're talking about, is a pedigree behind the camera. You have a star in Arnold Schwarzenegger. Belushi is already on SNL, is making a name for himself at this time. It had a lot of ingredients, and we'll see if it's successful when we talk about Red Heat on our next episode. But before that... Yeah, this Friday we got our biggest movie in Silver Level this fall, Adam's Family. The one with Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Dan Hedaya, Christina Ricci. Yeah, this is the one I saw in theaters. This was really the Adam's Family, I think, highlight. Yeah, I love that pinball game back in the day, too. I will be on that show, obviously, and I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Yep, it is available for a Silver Level donation of just $10 or more. Don't forget, we've got all of these shows coming up, going deep into 2023 with the Silver Level Adams Family series, six movies for $10 or more, requesting $15 because it's six films. For $25 or more and requesting 30 you get the 100 Years of Dystopia, 10 reviews there. A lot of bonus reviews coming up over the next many months. The Adams Family is just the tip of the iceberg. And I'm looking forward to feeling the Adams Groove this Friday. And also before we go, just a reminder, there is still time to enter our Top Gun Maverick giveaway. Ooh, what are we giving away, Arnie? We have five digital copies of Top Gun Maverick. Oh, four, because I'm taking one of those. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we are not eligible, which Darn kind it. of bums me out because I want to see the bonus features, I'll be honest. I'd like to be giving away maybe three of those copies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have one copy to give away, everybody, because the staff wants them. All you have to do to enter is join our Facebook listeners group or subscribe to our InFocus newsletter. If you do one of those things, you get one entry. If you do both of those things, you have two entries to win one of these digital copies of Maverick courtesy of our friends at Paramount, and we will be announcing the winners on September 1st. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to Red Heat when we'll be back. I don't think we're going to be the kind of pals I hoped we'd be. Thank you for listening to this now-playing podcast, Movie Review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm impressed. I'm hungry. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. In case you forget, I will be checking back with you. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You got references? I'm in a computer. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Intimidation. Let him know that nothing is safe. You can donate directly at NowPlayingPodcast.com. And now it's your turn. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. I'm financing this myself. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're a real take-charge guy. Associate produced by Jason Latham. This must be what they mean by poetic justice. 
Now playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Guys, make sure to clean up the mess before you knock off, okay? The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. I plead the Fifth Amendment. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Well, we're both after the same thing. Justice. Fuck justice! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. We can tell everything by the flow of the blow. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Perfect.